Well, it has been a week since Easter, and while the story of resurrection has power like no other story, in the aftermath, I find myself strangely drawn to the stories that seem to resonate out of Easter. If anything, it confirms the certainty of the resurrection. That certainty is found in the personal testimony of the post-resurrection stories that has been written through countless lives and personalities. In the New Testament, if you, if you follow in the Gospels, you will find there are 11 specific passages of personal encounters that people have with the risen Jesus Christ. Stories that begin within hours of his resurrection, then all through his ascension. Consider the vignettes that are there. You have the snapshot scenes uh, from the shock and awe of the Roman guards at the tomb to the uh, wonder of the woman's discoveries to Peter and John scratching their heads as they, as they encounter an empty crypt and then two unnamed disciples caught by surprise on the road to Emmaus. Now we may live in a world that somehow raises an eyebrow uh, at the testimony of the Bible, raising questions as to whether it can be counted upon. You may, like me, have, find that every year, whenever the major media comes to Easter, they always seem to trot out all of the arguments that, 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 that make suspect this particular story. And yet, the testimony makes it sure and certain. In his first letter following the Gospel, John lays out the foundation of faith, of our faith, and he does it on the solid rock of certainty. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have, and notice these terms, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, we have seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. Verse 3, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, solid, tangible evidence we proclaim. And our proclamation is that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Capture those terms, seen, heard, touched. It doesn't get much more certain than that. And I would suggest then that the stories do not end simply at the ascension with Jesus Christ, but continue to carry all the way into the present these personal encounters that people have with Jesus Christ. Last week, my wife and I had the privilege of standing witness with our eldest son, as he was baptized. And hearing his story then finally coming together, uh, speaking of the certainty of Jesus Christ and celebrating Easter then became something very, very special for us as we saw this added commitment to the resurrected and living Lord uh, by him giving his own personal Easter story. You just got to love the sheer wonder of it all. Now this morning I'd like to expand uh, an ancient chant that I'm, I'm sure you probably uh, shared last week. Uh, it seems traditional. Uh, it's an ancient chant that goes all the way back to the very beginning with Easter to be able to say, He is risen, and the response being, What? He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's a thrill to be able to say that, but it's wrong to limit it simply to one day in a year. Uh, and And... It happens at a place where we expect it to be part of the historical event. But today we're going to look at just one of the resurrection stories. And I want to take it one step further past Easter with another chant that I might just invent and share with you to say he's alive and have you respond by saying he is alive indeed. He is alive. He is alive indeed. He is risen, he is alive, and he is here today. Now imagine getting your mind around that. 
Not just what it means about Jesus, the one you love, but what it means for you, the one that he loves and gave himself for. He is alive, he is alive indeed, and he is here today for you and for me. Now, among the stories that I love so well, the one that strikes probably closest to the heart and actually fits the best this morning is the one that occurs exactly one week after Easter. One week to the day after Easter, we find it begins in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, turn there to chapter 20, verse 19. And there you have heard it read, and I'm going to read it again. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples, when they were together, this, by the way, is Easter, when the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I now am sending you. Now, in this scene, an image is being created, a very simple gesture that really does touch the human heart. You see it in verse 20. He showed them his hands. And, and the sight, John writes, filled the disciples with joy, overwhelming joy. The sight of his hands and the marks that were upon them. Now let me continue the story found in verse 24. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Then Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now what a powerful moment this is, this, this portrait of belief. But notice Tucked away, once again, that image reappears. A very simple gesture by Jesus Christ to show them his hands and even more to guide the disciple to feel the wounds and to actually touch them and to trace the scars. Put your finger here, Jesus says. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. There are some who suggest that just that invitation caused Thomas to shy away. That the shame of doubting him made it unnecessary for him to go any further than just to see him. And that it was just an offer that was made enough to crack his cynicism and that with bowed head he would be able to simply say, my Lord and my God. That's how it appears in the movies. The greatest story ever told. Uh, you know, you see that, you know, just seeing Jesus causes Thomas to... To, to, to bow. But as I read it again, what you discover very carefully is that there is no pause. It's as if, as if Jesus, with the tense of the words that are there, has taken Jesus, uh, Thomas's hand and taken his finger and he said, now here, put your finger here in my hands. And he takes his hand and he guides it to his side and he says, now here, place this into the wound as if, to, as if on purpose to be able to say, stop doubting and believe. 
this tangible connection that is being made. And if you ever wonder to yourself, what is it then that Thomas experienced that caused him to be able to bow down at that point, having experienced and touched and felt, not only having seen and heard, that would cause him to say, my Lord and my God. Most would say that it was a weight of tangible proof, that there was without a doubt Jesus standing before him. It was not a myth, not an imposter, not a vapor, not a dream, not a 3D evaporation sort of thing, but it was Jesus, crucified, now alive. And I would agree, there is nothing more compelling than the reality of the resurrection. It just cannot be denied. If, if there was any need for further proof that Jesus rose again, all you have to do, see is what happened to the disciples. In every case, except for John, who died of old age, each one of the disciples endured execution, insisting that what they had seen was true. And they could not deny it. And Jesus was alive, and nothing would shake them off that truth. Not torture, not even execution. But is that all that is there to be seen in the hands of Jesus Christ? Empirical evidence, tangible truth? Or was there something more? When I see the reaction of the disciples, it is more than just an exercise in intellectual satisfaction. That's what I meant to say. As if they're looking and saying, oh, it's him. But there is something even more. There is a tender and a passionate emotion, an overwhelming joy, an unrestrained acceptance, something much, much more than proof. To be honest, I hadn't given that question much thought until a few years ago when I happened to come across the reflections of Dr. Paul Brand, a doctor whose work among lepers is recorded in uh, Philip Yancey's book, Where is God When It Hurts? The scene of Dr. Brand, one who has worked among lepers, was found in Valor, India, where Dr. Brand preached a sermon. And listen to how the sermon unfolded. The air was heavy, and with combined odors of crowded bodies and poverty and stale spices and treated bandages. The, the patients insisted on a few words from Dr. Brand, and he, he reluctantly agreed. He stood for a moment, empty of ideas, looking at the patients before him. And as he did, his eyes were drawn to their hands, dozens of them. Most of them pulled inward in the familiar leprosy crawl hand. Some of them with no fingers. Some with only a few stumps. Many of the patients actually sat on their heads and hid them from their view, as was their custom. And so he spoke. I am a hand surgeon, he began. And so when I meet people, I cannot help but look at their hands. The palmist claims that he can tell your future by looking at your hands and tracing the lines. I can tell your past. For instance, I can tell you what your trade has been by the position of the calluses and the condition of the nails. I can tell a lot about the character. I love hands. He paused and he looked at the eager faces. How I would love to have had the chance to meet Christ and study his hands. But knowing what he was like, I can almost picture them and feel them. 
He then began to wonder aloud before them what it would have been like to meet Christ and study his hands. He traced the hands of Christ beginning with infancy when his hands were small and helpless, smooth and soft. And you know what it is like to hold a baby's hands. And then came the hands of the boy Jesus, clumsily holding a brush or a stylus, trying to form letters of the alphabet. And then came the hands of Christ the carpenter, rough and gnarled with broken fingernails and bruises from working with a saw and a hammer. And then there were the hands of Christ the physician, the healer. Compassion and sensitivity would seem to radiate from them, so much so that when he touched people, they could actually feel something of the divine spirit coming through. Christ touched the blind, the diseased, and the needy. Then, continued Dr. Brand, there were his crucified hands. It hurts me to think of a nail being driven through the center of my hand because I know what goes on there, he said. The tremendous complex of tendons and nerves and blood vessels and muscles. It's impossible to drive a stake through the center without crippling it. The thought of those healing hands being crippled reminds me of what Christ was prepared to endure. And in that act, he identified with all the deformed and crippled human beings in the world. Not only was he able to endure poverty with the poor, weariness with the tired, but clawed hands with the crippled as well. The effect on the listening patients, all of them social outcasts, was electrifying. Jesus? A cripple? with clawed hands like mine? He continued and said, and then there were his resurrected hands. And one of the things I find most astounding is that though we think of the future life as something perfected, when Christ appeared to his disciples, he said, come look at my hands. And he invited Thomas to put his finger into the print of the nail. Why did he want to keep the wounds of his humanity? Wasn't it because he wanted to carry back with him an eternal reminder of the sufferings of those on earth? And he carried the marks of his suffering so that he could continue to understand the needs of those who suffer. He wanted to be forever one with us. As he finished... Dr. Brand suddenly became conscious of an effect that was being had of hands as they suddenly began to lift. All over the courtyard, as they came together palm to palm in the Indian gesture of respect, namaste. The hands were the same stumps, the same missing fingers and the crooked arches, and yet no one tried to hide them anymore. They were held high, close to the face, certainly in respect uh, for Dr. Brand, but now even more, a gesture filled with a new thanksgiving and a pride and a dignity that had been conferred upon them by the love of their Lord Jesus Christ. They could, in that moment, with a simple gesture, see themselves touched by the hand of a Savior who loved them and gave himself for them, a Savior who had taken their cause and their cares straight into heaven with him to the heart of God. The Bible has left no question about the depth depth of the love of Jesus Christ for you and for me. 
In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, we read, Surely, without any question of a doubt, he took up our infirmities, he carried our sorrows, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. On the day of resurrection, Jesus revealed his hands, a gesture that went beyond the facts that would just convince the mind and go right down to the depth of the heart where joy would then explode. And by his wounds, we are healed. And by his wounds, you are healed. And by his wounds, you are loved. I don't want to press the imagination too far at this point, but just think of your wounds. Infirmities, sorrows, transgressions, iniquities, everything that boils in that pot of the punishment of life and the consequences of sin. Think of them as scars on your heart, but now think of the hands of Jesus Christ reaching out to you, hands filled with the power of the resurrection, and by his wounds you are healed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is alive. He is alive indeed. And now he is here and you are loved. You are saved. You are his and forevermore. Over the years, I've, I've, I've found myself circling around a particular life verse that has become part of a daily prayer and it is found in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Isn't that a wonderful connection? I have been crucified with Christ. And no longer is it I who live, but Christ now lives in me. And the life I live in the body, now I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that of yourself? His hand is reaching out. His hand is there for you to take His hand is there for you to hold. The hands of the risen Lord reach across time and space to you right now, and it does become time for us to be able to respond. For the disciples, the response was a matter of thanksgiving and joy. For Thomas, it was a matter of commitment and and conviction. My Lord and my God, how will you respond? For the lepers in Valor, India, it was with hands held together up in gratitude and respect And maybe that's something that we can do together. Just take our hands, put them together, and place them high. And with heads bowed and hands together, lifted high, be able to pray together, my Lord and my God, I thank you. My Lord and my God, I thank you. Gracious Heavenly Father, in obedience to your claim in our lives, out of the wonderful power of the resurrection and the glory of Easter, We give ourselves to you, all that we are, all that we have, and all that we are to be, to you and to your care and to your using. Lord, take us away from our sinful preoccupation with self and use us as you will, with whom you will and where you will. For Lord, you guide us and you lead us and you hold us by hand and help us to know that having been crucified with you, we no longer live, but that you live in us. And the life that we now live in this day and from this day, we live by grace in the name of the Lord 
who loved us and cared for us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.